Welcome to PQ Talk on Call, a podcast dedicated to current and aspiring intensivists. I'm Pradeep Kamath. And I'm Rahul Demania, and we are coming to you from Children's Healthcare of Atlanta, Emory University School of Medicine. Welcome to our episode of an eight-year-old child admitted with altered mental status secondary to seizures. Here's the case presented by Dr. Demania. Our patient today is an eight-year-old who was admitted to the floor with the diagnosis of multi-system inflammatory syndrome in children, also known as MISC. On his initial echo, his ejection fraction had mildly depressed systolic function, dilation of coronaries, and worsening inflammatory markers. As a result, the care team increased the dosage of methylprednisolone administered to this patient. Since initiation of methylprednisolone, the patient's systolic blood pressure had been steadily increasing with the latest systolic values approaching 140s to 150s. On hospital day three, the patient had a generalized tonic-clonic seizure and became unresponsive, for which a rapid response was called on the floor. The patient was emergently bagged and brought to the PICU for airway protection and intubation. Initial vitals on PICU admission were the following. He was a febrile, mildly tachycardic, and hypertensive to 160s, even after sedation. In the PICU, an initial head CT scan done after intubation and stabilization of the patient showed no bleeding or mass. A continuous EEG monitor was initiated. Neurology was consulted, and an MRI was ordered for the following day. As his altered mental status was thought to be related to his blood pressure, the team pursued aggressive blood pressure control with nicardipine infusion. Rahul, to summarize key elements from this case, this patient has a seizure, altered mental status, hypertension, acute respiratory failure, all of which bring a concern for an acute CNS pathology. Absolutely. The differential is very broad. However, right now I'm thinking of an acute stroke categorized as hemorrhagic, ischemic, or venous thrombotic. You should also consider meningoencephalitis, CNS vasculitides, acute demyelinating encephalomyelitis, metabolic encephalopathy, tumors, or altered mental status related to hypertension. So Pradeep, let's transition into some history and physical exam components of this case. What are some key history features in this child who presents with seizures and hypertension? Rahul, this child has MISC with cardiac dysfunction and coronary anomalies. There was a recent increase in the patient's steroid dosage, progressive increase in blood pressure. So Rahul, what are some red flag symptoms or physical exam components which you could highlight in this patient? Well, upon arrival to the PICU, the patient's physical exam was relatively normal. Of note, the fundoscopic exam did not reveal papilledema, and there was no renal bruit that was auscultated. His pupils were equal, round, and reactive. His face was symmetric. He had normal bulk and tone, and the patient was sedated and did not withdraw to noxious stimuli. Deep tendon reflexes were equal throughout, and no clonus was noted. As mentioned, the fundoscopic exam revealed no papilledema, which ruled out any increased intracranial pressure that would serve as a cause of our altered mental status. To continue with our case, 
Rahul, what were the patient's labs uh, at presentation? The patient had a downtrending CRP, ESR, BNP, and troponin, and this was most likely due to the increase in steroid dosage. The echo was consistent with improved cardiac function as well as improvement of coronary dilatation. The CT scan had no bleed, and the patient eventually got an MRI. And the MRI suggested changes in the posterior brain with the distinct edema in that area. So to summarize, here we have an eight-year-old with acute severe hypertension, seizures, altered mental status, and MRI changes suggestive of vasogenic edema in the posterior part of the brain. All of this brings up concern for posterior reversible encephalopathy syndrome, also known as PRESS, which is the topic of our discussion today. So Rahul, why don't we go ahead and start with a short multiple choice question? A 19-year-old with history of renal transplant on tacrolimus and recent initiation of steroids for rejection presents with acute severe hypertension and a generalized tonic-clonic seizure. The patient is afebrile and no rash is seen. CT scan at an outside hospital rules out mass or hemorrhage. After stabilization and initiation of anti-hypertensive therapy, the next study of choice for diagnosis is A, continuous EEG, B, MRI, C, lumbar puncture, or D, PET scan of the brain. Rahul, the correct answer is B, MRI. Patients such as the one described in the above question are at high risk to develop press. MRI, as you pointed out, will show classic changes associated with press involvement of the parieto-occipital region of the brain. Vasogenic edema, typically affecting the brain white matter, is characterized by hyperintensity on flare and T2-weighted MRI sequences. As seizures is a presentation of press, as in our case above, Continuous EEG monitoring, especially if the patient is intubated, is indicated, but may not be helpful in the diagnosis. A lumbar puncture also will not help with the diagnosis of PRESS, and the patient in this question is afebrile. PET scan may have a role in unusual or atypical cases of PRESS, mainly to distinguish it from tumors. There is decreased fluorodeoxyglucose, FTG, and methionine uptake in most press cases compared to tumors such as gliomas or lymphomas. To summarize, the diagnosis of press relies on a combination of clinical presentation and neuroimaging. Acute or subacute presentation with encephalopathy, generalized tonic-clonic seizures are seen in about 60 to 75% of patients. Patients can also have headaches, visual field deficits, cortical blindness, hallucinations, or rarely focal findings such as aphasia or hemiparesis. All of these should raise suspicion for press. Headache, visual disturbances, and generalized tonic-clonic seizures is related to press until proven otherwise, especially if the patient is overtly hypertensive. Rahul, as you think about our case, what would be your differential diagnosis? This is a very broad differential, but let me go ahead and characterize the highest yield. Number one, you should consider infectious encephalitides. In this case, the CSF would be abnormal, the gram stain may show a bacteria, or there may be a PCR which would turn positive for an infectious etiology. You should also be thinking of CNS vasculitides. Patients who have this presentation 
will have CSF pleocytosis and cytotoxic edema. You should also consider acute demyelinating encephalomyelitides, or ADEM. These patients have a history of a upper respiratory tract infection or bacterial infection. They have fever, and they usually have asymmetric involvement of the supratentorial regions on imaging. Finally, you want to consider malignancy such as a glioma or lymphoma, as well as some sort of toxidrome. Some of these we mentioned in our prior podcast episodes, so listeners, please check them out. Rahul, can you comment on the pathogenesis of PRESS? So Pradeep, it is hypothesized that when patients' mean arterial blood pressure exceeds the upper limits of cerebral autoregulation, it leads to hyperperfusion and the breakdown of the blood-brain barrier, allowing interstitial extravasation of plasma and macromolecules that traverse the blood-brain barrier and create vasogenic and cytotoxic edema. Now, PRESS can develop in patients with normal blood pressure or even hypotension, and this is reported in the literature to have an incidence of about 15 to 20%. In these patients, the endothelial dysfunction and breakdown of the blood-brain barrier could be from the cytokines and inflammatory mediators from systemic toxic effects of medications. Remember, cyclosporin was in our multiple choice question. This results in vasogenic edema. The posterior regions of the brain are more susceptible to vasogenic edema because of little sympathetic innervation that exists in the posterior fossa. So Pradeep, which patients are actually at risk for press? Rahul, that's an excellent question. Apart from acute severe hypertension, a number of other conditions are associated with PRESS. PRESS is seen in patients receiving immune suppression, especially the calcineurin inhibitors such as tacrolimus or cyclosporin after stem cell or solid organ transplantation. Higher incidence is seen in a bone marrow transplant or stem cell transplant patients as the dose of immune suppression in these patients is higher uh, than that compared to patients with solid organ transplants. Autoimmune disorders, pregnancy with preeclampsia, eclampsia, as well as those with renal disease have been linked to PRESS. So here's the summary point. When you see progressive hypertension in a patient post-transplant, after doing due diligence to pain control and diagnostic workup, pay close attention to mental status, as these patients, especially if they are in immunosuppression, are at high risk for developing PRESS. So now, Pradeep, if you had to work up a patient who has hypertension and altered mental status, and you're suspecting PRESS, what would be your diagnostic approach? Rahul, any patient with acute subacute symptoms, such as confusion, seizures, headache, visual disturbances in the presence of hypertension, immune suppression, autoimmune disorders, transplant or preeclampsia, should be considered to have PRESS unless proven otherwise. Now, brain imaging is the most important diagnostic test, especially to exclude other diagnoses. The presence of vasogenic edema affecting white matter in the parieto-occipital regions of both hemispheres. Rarely, this can also be asymmetric. An MRI flare is very highly suggestive of press. Although vasogenic edema can be seen in other areas of the brain, there is always concomitant involvement of the parieto-occipital regions. Some patients with PRESS may have restricted diffusion, like about 15 to 30% seen in larger areas of vasogenic edema, 
Some patients with PRESS may have restricted diffusion seen in the larger areas of vasogenic edema. Some patients also may have intracranial or subarachnoid hemorrhage, especially commonly seen in patients who have allogenic bone marrow transplant. Other investigations which need to be decided on a case-by-case basis include obtaining a lumbar puncture, uh, look for CSF pleocytosis, send CSF for gram stain culture, and PCR testing for viruses, as well as cytology for any malignant involvement. Baseline blood gas, CBC, CMP, DIC panel may be required depending on the severity of presentation. Approximately 60 to 75% of patients with PRESS can present with generalized tonic-clonic seizures, and PRESS can be suspected as the underlying cause of status epilepticus, especially when bilateral occipital sharp waves are present. Therefore, continuous EEG monitoring, especially if the patient is intubated, must be initiated in the PICU. This is a great summary point. The presence of vasogenic edema affecting white matter in the parieto-occipital regions of both hemispheres, rarely asymmetric, on your MRI flare sequence in the appropriate clinical context is highly suggestive for PRESS. Neuroimaging helps to exclude alternative diagnoses such as brain tumors or acute demyelinating syndromes, as well as rules out any sort of intracranial hemorrhage. Rahul, if a history, physical, and diagnostic investigations lead us to press as our diagnosis, what would be a general management framework? There is no specific management for press. Treatment is supportive, and basic principles of good pediatric ICU care are paramount for optimal outcomes. Any treatable underlying cause, such as severe hypertension, must be managed appropriately. Anti-epileptic agents should be initiated and may be required for 3 to 12 months after the initial press episode, and this was well validated in a study published in Pediatric Blood Cancer in 2007. In our case, the patient's high blood pressure was triggered by high-dose steroids used for MISC. The steroid dose was reduced as the patient's blood pressure was controlled using IV nicardipine and when the patient's inflammatory marker started improving. A collaborative approach with rheumatology, infectious disease, and pediatric ICU helped make decisions that allowed lowering of the steroid dose and titration of the blood pressure medications. Magnesium has also been used in PRESS. The management of PRESS from induction chemotherapy is difficult as deciding which meds to halt in a patient receiving multiple agents may not be easy. If PRESS is caused by anti-rejection medications in a transplant patient, that medication may need to be discontinued at least temporarily, and you may need to find an alternative form of immunosuppression. I want to really encourage you all to listen to our podcast on acute severe hypertension on how to safely lower blood pressures in patients who present with acute on chronic severe hypertension. So Pradeep, to close out our episode, can you comment on the prognosis of PRESS? Rahul, overall, the prognosis of PRESS is excellent. Although some severe forms may not be fully reversible and can have a mortality of about 3 to 6%. Mortality is typically due to intracranial bleeding, cerebral edema in the posterior fossa, hydrocephalus or diffuse cerebral edema or raised ICP. In 10 to 20% of patients with PRESS, 
There can be neurological sequelae in the form of seizures, neurodeficits such as hemiparesis, decreased visual activity, and dizziness. In 5 to 10% of patients, press can be recurrent, especially in patients with difficult-to-treat hypertension or who are on medications for their organ transplant. Let's go ahead and summarize the key objective takeaways from today's episode. Number one, acute or subacute presentation in a patient with the constellation of headache, seizures, visual disturbances, and hypertension should give rise to the suspicion of press, especially in the clinical context of induction chemotherapy, immunotherapy, preeclampsia, or eclampsia, as well as acute severe hypertension. MRI showing vasogenic edema in the parietooccipital white matter regions on flare sequence is typical for patients with press. This concludes our episode on posterior reversible encephalopathy or press. We hope you found value in a short, case-based podcast. We welcome you to share feedback, subscribe, and place a review on our podcast. Please visit our website, pqdoconcall.org, which showcases our episodes as well as our Doc on Call management cards. PQ Doc on Call is hosted by me, Pradeep Kamath, and my co-host, Dr. Rahul Dimania. Stay tuned for the next episode. Thank you.